and I just accepted Jesus into my heart and my heart is healed. I'm going, oh boy. Oh, and the doctor says, well, Oscar, we need to run some tests on you. They ran the test and literally his heart was healed. Wow. He said, did it ever occur to you that through this movie and through his story being told, Lonnie has preached to thousands of people, not thousands, millions. Millions. And, And she said, Greg, what are you doing here? I said, mom, I want to talk to you today about your soul. She said, I don't want to talk about it. I said, today we're going to talk about it. I wasn't going to take no for an answer. Yeah. And it was an awkward, hard conversation with her. That's so cool. And we have a a special announcement kind of tying into this entire theme of preaching the gospel to the masses. All right. We are here with another special interview with Pastor Greg Laurie, we're going to be talking about everything that's happened since Jesus' revolution happened and some of the controversies around the film, of, mm. of, uh, of, of some of the, the, the conversations around yeah. the film. And so I, watching the film, brilliant, by the way. I saw it three times. I loved it. What happened after? Because I have so many questions about Calvary Chapel pastors that came after yeah. the the Vineyard movement, Harvest your church, all of the things that happened after because it kind of ends, and I almost think there could be a sequel yes. to the movie. So, what, can you walk us through just kind of something, some of the the story of what happens after Chuck gives you the keys to the yeah. church, which he didn't really give you the, <laughs> the keys to the church. Right. Well, um, the scene, the film ends with Greg proposing to Kathy. She mm-hmm. says yes. And this is after Chuck has given the keys to Greg. And someone asked me recently, how did you feel when Chuck gave you the keys to the church? So I feel like, okay, so here's what really happened. Um, Lonnie, played by Jonathan Rumi in the Mm -hmm. film, went up to Riverside when the Jesus movement was happening at Calvary Costa Mesa. So in the film, he didn't go, but in real life, he did. Okay. And, And this thing grew to 300 people. It was going really well. And then Lonnie left for Florida. That's in the film. Yep. And so it was passed around to various Calvary Chapel pastors. So back in the day, there were guys like Mike McIntosh, Don McClure, uh, Tom Stipe, uh, who were hanging around as associate pastors. And I was sort of like an intern. I had my drawing board set up in the back office, and I'd be working on my art. And uh, one day they were having a conversation about who's going to go to Riverside this week. Uh One said, well, I went last week. The other said, well, I'm going two weeks from now. Well, who wants to go? And I said... I'll go. I'll go, yeah. And so they said, go for it, Greg. And I went up, and there were around 30 people. So this group of 300 at Lonnie started had shrunk to around 30 people. Uh-huh. And uh, and so I just gave a message, and they invited me to go back the next week. And then it started to grow, and it grew and continued to grow until it was you know, 500 people yeah. a meeting on Sunday night. And we had effectively outgrown this church. It was yeah. an Episcopalian church. It's uh-huh. still there today called all Saints Episcopalian Church. And so we were looking for a building. And so I went to Pastor Chuck and I said, we need a bigger building. And uh, so he said, well, start looking. So we found this abandoned former Southern Baptist church. They had had a church split and uh, it was just a big empty building. Mm -hmm. And so I told Chuck about it and Chuck drove up uh, to Riverside and he was meeting with the realtor in the front pew as we're walking around imagining what we could do with this building. And I saw him pull out his checkbook and write a check. Mm -hmm. And then he came to me and said, well, you got yourself a church, Greg. And he got in his car and drove back to Costa Mesa. (laughs) So what happened was Chuck actually put a down payment uh, on this church Uh and they, a Calvary Chapel ended up taking out a loan and they, and we paid them back with interest. Okay. Uh But having said all that, those are details, but the reality is, he didn't give me the keys to the church, but he was the key for the church happening. Yep. That that church, this church that we have getting ready to celebrate yeah. 50 years would not exist if it was not for the willingness of Pastor Chuck to take a risk on someone like me. Yeah. And the same is true of the Crusades that happened some years later, about 33 years ago it started. Yeah. He came to me and said, why don't we go to a large venue and do an evangelistic event, sort yep. of like a Billy Graham crusade. Yeah. That's when I was doing Monday nights at Calvary Costa Mesa at his, re- at his request. So, yeah. you know, the little details, sure. you know. Uh, here's another detail. Um, in reality, uh, in the movie, it shows me con- getting converted right before I'm baptized. Uh-huh. The fact is I was converted on my high school campus. Okay. Anyone who knows the story has heard me tell it. We're 
there was this cute girl. Yep. And uh, I saw her talking to a friend of mine. And I was waiting for a break in the conversation because there was something about this girl that attracted me to her. But mm -hmm. it wasn't like she was beautiful. Mm -hmm. But there was something special about her. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I was, I was waiting for a break in the conversation. I noticed that she had a textbook for class, a notebook, and a Bible. Mm -hmm. And my thought was literally, oh, no, she's a Jesus freak. What a, <laughs> what a waste of a perfectly cute girl. <laughs> and uh, and so I said hello to her. And, and then so that, I think it was that day or maybe the next day, I was walking across the campus wondering where she might be. And she was sitting out on the front lawn mm -hmm. worshiping with Christians. And I thought, there's that girl. And I sat down close enough where I could eavesdrop on their conversation, but far enough away where I wouldn't be thought of as joining the Jesus freaks. Mm -hmm. So I just found this out because I was reading Lonnie Frisbee's book and I had not read it before. And he said that they normally met in the science room mm -hmm. and the air conditioning was broken that day. So they went out on the front lawn of the campus. If they'd been in that classroom, I would have never walked wow. in. So this was all orchestrated by the Lord. Wow. So I'm walking across the campus. They're yeah. outside. I see them. I sit down. Yeah. I'm listening. I see this girl. I'm looking at other people. Some of them I actually knew from my past. I knew they were not crazy people. Yeah. And now they're a Christian. Yep. Why? Yep. And I tried this new thought on first size. What if it's all true? Yeah. What if it's all real? Yeah. I quickly dismissed it. Why? Well, if you saw the movie, you see my upbringing. Mm -hmm. My mother was married and divorced seven times. Mm -hmm. All these guys walking in and out of my life, and I'm supposed to call them dad. Mm. So I became very cynical mm -hmm. and hard mm -hmm. at an early age. Mm -hmm. I hardly believed anyone, especially mm -hmm. adult-type figures. So I'm watching this group of Christians, and I thought, what if it's true? And I thought, no, it can't be. And again, I thought, but what if it is true? Mm -hmm. What if God can be known? And then Lonnie stood up, mm. you know, and he looks like Jesus, just yeah. like in the movie, long yeah. hair, yeah. beard. He has this shirt that almost looks like a tunic, you know, with these kind of long <laughs> yeah. sleeves. He stands up and he, I don't remember what he said, but I remember one statement. He said, Jesus said, you're for me or against me. Oof. And he hit me like a lightning bolt because I looked at the Christians and I thought, well, they're for him. Yeah. And I'm not one of them. Does that mean I'm against Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't want to be against Jesus. Yeah. I, I believed Jesus was real, yeah. but all I literally knew about him was movies I'd seen. Yep. I knew nothing. Yep. But there was something in my heart that said, this is true. Mm. You know, when I was a little boy, I was living with my grandparents for a while. And after it was time to go to bed, I would go into my room and I would have conversations with someone I called Mr. Nobody. Mm. And uh, <clears throat> I just would tell Mr. Nobody what my problems were. Mm -hmm. As just a little boy. And then... Fast forward to this day, and I realized Mr. Nobody has a name. It's Jesus. Wow. I've been seeking God. This is what it's always been about. And so that was the day I prayed and accepted Christ into my life. So when I told the story to John Irwin, the director of the film, yeah. he says, you can't have two love interests in one movie. <laughs> well, this girl was never my love interest, yeah. but she did draw me in. Yep, yep. And so he consolidated yes. her. And this is what happens in movies, Ruslan, as yeah. you know, is they compress characters, yep, sometimes yep. they remove characters, yes. timelines are changed, yes. all kinds of things change that create that movie feeling. So in the film, I meet Kathy before I'm a Christian, uh -huh. but in reality, I met Kathy after, after I was a Christian. After you were a Christian, yeah. Yeah, yeah and I, I think it's, like you pointed out, it's important for people to understand that a movie is trying to condense so many yeah. things in a 90-minute right. horizon to tell a story. It could be difficult to get the sequencing of everything, right? And, and it would it, be boring. It would be boring. It's not a documentary. Yeah. John Irwin described it this way. He says a film, a feature film, is like a painting, mm -hmm. uh, not a photograph. Mm. So it's an interpretation. That's good. And so he's taking my life and other yes. people's yes. lives yes. and interweaving us together. And, and a lot of it is very true, exactly as it happened. Yep. Some things, well, this maybe happened a little later, yep. or this happened a little bit yep. earlier. Yep. Then there's a little bit of fiction thrown in. For instance, someone asked me recently, did you really use to sing Fly Me to the Moon to your mother? Yeah. I said, no, I did not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. an invention sure. that John came up with because he had the moon landing yeah. and, and that thing. But it's it was a beautiful little motif, it, too. It, it really was. And yeah. I, I loved what he did with yeah. it. I said to John jokingly, I think I like your movie version of Greg than the real version. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's good. Um, so the, the controversy was seemingly that 
Lilani went and started yeah. Harvest, yeah, and then just kind of gave it to you. Yeah. But that's not what what really happened. The, 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 he started something yes. that grew, yeah. and and then after he left, it dwindled down. That's right. To thirty, yeah, and then you step in, yeah, and you grow, and you basically start Harvest. Is that yeah. is that a, a yeah? A better... But I would I would say in fairness, Lonnie laid the foundation yep. for it. It had shrunk down quite dramatically. Yep. And then we sort of rebooted it and started it over because he was just doing it as an outreach, but mm -hmm. I was really setting it up as a church, mm -hmm. not intentionally. Yeah. I didn't even know I was starting a church, mm -hmm. but I knew that there needed to be Bible study and yeah. there needed to be some structure there. Mm -hmm. And I'd learned that more from Pastor Chuck Smith, yeah. you know? So here's a funny thing people don't know. Uh, you know, on Sunday mornings at Calvary Chapel, we would have a traditional morning service. No electric guitars, no drum sets, mm -hmm. piano on one side of the stage, organ on the other side, Chuck wore a suit. Mm -hmm. And it was like a, a very um, traditional Sunday morning church service while the Jesus movement was in full swing in the evening. So the reason that the Calvary Chapel expression of the Jesus movement continued on is because when it was all said and done, it was a church mm -hmm. and we had a pastor and we had a systematic theology mm -hmm. of everything that we were learning together. We were learning to be students of the word of God. So mm -hmm. going back to this little Bible study I was doing, you know, I wanted to teach you books of the Bible, not just topical messages. Yeah. And so that's when I was learning to teach yeah. and, and kind of developing a style that I still have today. And people started calling me Pastor Greg. Yeah. I'm like 20 years old. I'm thinking, <laughs> I, I'm not a pastor. But I realized this is my little thought because I aspired to be an evangelist. Yes. Because prior to that, I'd already done some speaking with some of the Christian bands traveling around. I thought, that's what I'll do. I'll be an evangelist. Yep. Yep. But God was calling me actually to be an evangelist and a pastor. Wow. So that's when it was starting to become the church. Yeah. And, and, you know, there weren't startup churches back then. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there were, but I didn't know of any. Yep, yep. I, pretty much the churches that were out there were established churches mm -hmm. that had been there forever, mm -hmm. and eventually they'd get a new pastor. You know, but this was a new thing to start something from scratch. Yes, yes. And so... And the I'm sorry, let me add, I wasn't the only one doing it. I had friends like Jeff Johnson and Raul Reese yeah. and Mike McIntosh all going out into different communities, and they were doing the same thing I was doing, but we didn't all really know each other that well at that point. Right. Well, that's what makes it a movement, right? Yeah, like there was multiple right. people doing yes. the same thing, and God was doing something unique. That's right. So I, I thank you for explaining that, because I think there was some confusion, and people yeah. kind of, they saw the movie, and then they thought everything in the movie is literal, and it's not, yeah. but then there's also there was also the tension of people kind of claiming not claiming, but at times rightfully so that Lonnie was written out of some of the history. Yeah. And so you honored him by making sure he was definitely infused in the movie. But some people kind of didn't, I guess, think it was enough. But I think it's important to clarify that yeah. Lonnie didn't start Harvest no. and then just hand it over to you and no. Chuck tossed you the keys right. to a building, that it was you building it up yeah. and, and and putting in that work and, and shepherding those people uh, when you were 20 years old. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and I became a Christian at 17, so... I'd, I'd only been a believer for this short time. I, I probably shouldn't admit this, but there were times when I was working my theology out and my preparation in preaching it. There's still guys that do that now. Yeah, <laughs> well, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I mean, we, we talk about them on I the channel I knew what sometimes. I believed, yeah. but but now I'm as you teach it. You know, yes. when you teach something, yes. you have to go way deeper yes. and explain all the intricacies of it. So I was really developing and working my theology out, yeah. the things I believed as I was teaching them yeah. to other people. Yeah. Well, I mean, the beautiful part is just the grace of God covering yeah. all that, right? Yes. Because typically we would say, yeah, that's probably not the wisest way right. to start a church. You right. should go get go get educated yeah. and go sit underneath someone right. and get seasoned and all that. How do you wrestle with that as kind of the requirements you see in First Timothy 3 for the yeah. requirements of an elder overseer. Did you see yourself as an elder overseer? Or were you just kind of like, man, I was sent, I'm going, Yeah, we're going to figure it out and build it as we go? Like, in hindsight, how do, how do you think about all that? Because I'll, be, I'll be frank with you, I discourage people from planting churches too yeah. young. Yes. I don't think it's optimal for their yeah. own personal development. And I don't Yeah. So anyway, I would love to hear your thoughts and speak Great into that. Great question. Okay, so I attended Calvary Chapel pretty much Four times a week, mm -hmm. maybe five times a week. Chuck is a systematic Bible teacher. We were learning real theology. And then Chuck told me to start building my Bible, my uh, my library, rather. Mm -hmm. My first uh, book, apart from the Bible, was Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. This was way before <laughs> Google. Big, thick book. Yeah. Then Neve's Topical Bible. Yeah. 
And then I started, then I built a library of C.H. Spurgeon books. Okay. And then uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, G. Campbell Morgan, Harry yeah. Ironside. Yeah. So Chuck pointed me in the right direction. So yeah. I've always been a student of the work. Got it. And, and I've always studied a lot, and I still study to this day. In fact, the thing I love more than anything else in ministry mm-hmm. is I live to study, prepare, write, and deliver a sermon. Mm-hmm. I, I love the process. Mm-hmm. I love the challenge of it mm-hmm. um, and so forth. So, <clears throat> yeah, it it's not something I would recommend, but I do believe God was calling me to do Amen. this. Amen. It was on the job training, uh, but we've seen fruit. Because, you know, let me say that I think it's good to get training obviously yeah. Yeah. but i have also seen some young men yeah. get really ruined theologically yeah. through certain training because yeah. they they become so academically oriented they're yeah. not speaking to That's regular good. people anymore yep. and the job of a pastor of a teacher as one person put it, is they get the cookies down on the lower shelf where the children can get to them. Mm-hmm. We want to give them content, but it needs to be understandable yeah. because I feel a lot of times preachers are answering questions no one is asking, yes, and they're not ask, answering the questions that are being asked. Yes, And that's constantly changing. We had breakfast a little bit earlier, and yep. we talked about rapidly culture is changing yes. right now and yes. the challenges before us. And yep. so we need to stay attuned to the culture. Mm. Example, Paul and Mars Hill he took the time to assess the culture, mm-hmm. to walk around Athens, yep. the intellectual capital of the world at the time, mm-hmm. looking at all these um, images erected to various gods. And he came to one called the unknown God. Yep. And he says, well, I see you're very religious or yep. spiritual yep. here in Athens. And I want to talk to you about this unknown God. Yeah. And he even quoted one of their secular philosophers yeah, right. in his message. Yep. So Paul was building a bridge. So there's part of me, the evangelist in me that always wants to be connected to culture and really give the gospel to the people of today. But the pastor in me wants it to be theologically correct. And I want to dot my I's and cross my T's. Yeah. Yeah. And and an interesting part about that is Paul is engaging in culture. He's contextualizing the gospel, but he's not bending to culture. No, He's not changing words and distorting the truth. That's right. He's speaking truth to culture, and right. I think that, and then he goes. So I, it's, they say he echoes that in First Corinthians, where he says, "I become all things that's to correct. all people, so that right. by some, you know, I could save some." Yeah. Um, I, I think I think that's beautiful, and I think that that's been a, a consistent theme through the movie that I that yeah. I saw was we're going to be full of grace and truth. We're going to yes. be full of spirit and truth, right. and we're not going to compromise. That's right. And that's been you know some of the other I guess uh, controversy was that. Well, the hippies were compromised. They yeah. weren't really true believers, and this is why we have so many issues in the church yeah. today. And this is kind of coming more from a fundamentalist crowd. Yeah. Uh, what do you make of that? Some of that critique of like, well, is it, look, at, they were bending the culture, right? They yeah. were they were they were trying to accommodate culture, and now you don't have to sing hymns, and you don't have to wear suits, and you don't have to do all these things. And I'm like, yeah, that's good. Like, you, sh- why do we need to do these things? Now, there's anything wrong with hymns. I think hymns are great. But what do you make of that critique? The more like. The, the Jesus revolution was too engaged with culture. Well, I would say that the reality is we did sing hymns. Yeah. I know lots of hymns. Okay. Remember I told you on Sunday morning, we went to church and sang hymns uh-huh. and I wore my best version of a suit. I don't think I owned, <laughs> I don't think I owned a suit then, but you know, so we were living in multiple, I mean, I was doing that and then I was also still a young person. Yeah. I dressed the way I dressed, yes. but you know, so I was given opportunities to speak in different environments from churches to convalescent homes to this or that. So I quickly learned how adapt, how to adapt to different crowds of people and mm-hmm. speak to different audiences. It was great training. Mm-hmm. So, but I don't think, you know, one of the songs we used to sing back in those days uh, was written by Chuck Gerard with his band Love Song. It was Little Country Church on the Edge of Town. Then it said, um, people aren't talking about religion no more. They just want to praise the Lord. Looking past the hair and street into the eyes, they want to praise the Lord. Long hairs, short hairs, coats and ties. People finally coming around, looking Mm. past the hair and street into the eyes. People are finally coming around. So here's the point. There were long hairs. There were short Mm -hmm. hairs. There were business people. There were little old ladies. There were young hippie kids. They were kids younger than that. It was everybody. Here's the misconception. 
about the Jesus movement. It was all hippies. It wasn't all hippies. Uh-huh. Fact is, I didn't grow my hair out long till I became a Christian. <laughs> uh, I just kind of wore it surfer style, parted on the side. Yeah. Use your imagination. Yeah. Uh, you know, but so I grew it out because others were doing it, but it wasn't just hippies. Yeah. And yeah. yes, we were coming from backgrounds of drug use and immorality. Hello, we're called non-believers, mm-hmm. and we became Christians, and our lives changed, yes. and our morality changed, yeah. and our values changed, and our worldview changed. Yeah. But we've got to reach people, you know, so they can come to Christ come and then go through this process of transformation. So yeah. to me, secondary issues are what we wore, yes. or if we sang new choruses or hymns, we actually did all the above. That's dope. That's so cool. What do you make of the question... Uh, why did you make a movie about your life? And why are you getting rich off of this movie? Yeah. Again, ignoring how any of yeah. this really works. Uh, what do you make of that? Because that, that's been some of the, Greg Laurie just wants to make a movie about his yeah. life and this whole thing. And 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 then the movie being successful, then people yeah. start thinking, well, he must be getting rich off of this yeah. thing, right? What do you yeah. make of that? Well, basically, uh, this movie was not my idea. It, going back to John Irwin, the director and screenwriter, he came to me, uh, with a copy of Time magazine, uh-huh. which had that psychedelic, mm-hmm. psychedelic image of Jesus, yep. Jesus revolution. He says, I want to make a movie about this. And someone told me you were there. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, I was. So we got to know each other and we talked and he asked me more questions. And then he wrote the screenplay. And I was really surprised to see he had written it around my life. So he had, had he read your book already? Or yeah, had he, he, okay. Well, no, the funny thing, I wrote the book later. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So in theory, the book was going to come out uh, close to the time of the movie, but because the movie was delayed, the Got book preceded it. the movie. So after talking with John, I thought, you know, this would be an interesting thing to mm-hmm. write a book about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I thought I would. There's a great book out, by the way, called God's Forever Family. Mm-hmm. And, and it was a little more academic, but very good, very thorough, and, and I would say accurate. Mm-hmm. My book is more telling the story from my perspective that I wrote with the co-author, uh, Ellen Vaughn, who's not standing researcher and writer so it's in her voice and she did a deep dive into the culture and and if you want to know more about what really happened in real life Mm -hmm. read the book that i wrote called jesus revolution so back to your question so john comes to me with the screenplay he's written it around my life my wife's life lonnie's life and chuck's life that was not not my design Mm -hmm. and so he says this is the way i want to do this movie so uh, being the author of the book, uh, Ellen and I were given a fee for the use of our book mm-hmm. in which we split. Mm-hmm. And, and so with all this profit that's being made is made by Lionsgate mm-hmm. and Kingdom Studios. This is not profit I'm making. Yep. My interest in this film is that it is a powerful tool to yes. bring the gospel. Yes. It has already been seen by four and a half million people. Wow. And that number is growing every weekend. Yeah. And and when it goes on streaming, Ruslan, it'll be seen by millions of people. Yep, yep. It'll be on, you know, Apple, it'll be on Amazon Prime, yep. it'll be on airplanes, yep. it'll be everywhere. Yep. And we were very intentional intentional to infuse the film with the gospel. Now some will say there wasn't enough gospel. Well, it is a film. Yeah. It's a dramatic film, but there's a scene where Lonnie's preaching in the church, mm-hmm. talking about the death of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. There's a scene where Greg, played by uh, Joel Courtney, and Lonnie, played by Jonathan Rumi, right before Greg's baptized, where he leads him in a prayer. And I and I actually worked with Jonathan Rumi. We went over that. And, and I actually was showing Jonathan and Kelsey how to baptize people. Mm-hmm. They didn't know how. <laughs> and the amazing thing is why people were coming on the set as actors or extras mm-hmm. to be baptized People were coming to Christ. They said, we want to be baptized for real. Mm -hmm. And in fact, uh, one of the people that played a role in the film came to me right after he was baptized in character, said, I want to be baptized for real. Double double dunk. Yeah. (laughs) So I said, well, you need to be a Christian. I explained to him the gospel, prayed with him. Wow. Then I baptized him. So while they're baptizing actors, I was baptizing the real guy. So cool. And I think that's why in those scenes, it feels so real. Because it was real. So I didn't make a movie about myself. John movie or John Irwin made a movie yeah. about four primary characters. Yes. That would be Chuck and Lonnie, yes. Kathy and Greg. Yes. And and I was honored to have my story told. And you know, I wouldn't wish my childhood on anyone. Yep. And it was a lot worse than it was seen in the film. Yeah. But having said that, as I see it's helping young people who are mm. struggling with parents and they haven't you know a mother or a father who's an addict or mm-hmm. they didn't have a mother or mm-hmm. a father yeah. or whatever it is they're dealing with 
I've heard so many stories of this movie offering them hope. So I'm thankful that God yeah. could take my mess and turn it into a message and my test and turn it into a testimony. It's good. Yeah. I, I think the unfortunate part is sometimes people who are just unaware, yeah. I don't want to use the word ignorant because it's strong, but just unaware of how yeah. entertainment works and yeah. how the rights to a story work right. and all that kind of stuff yeah. that it, this was a, like you said, a ministry tool yeah. and an opportunity to reach people, not uh, a ploy to get rich. And I oh, knew that without yeah. you, without you even having to break any of that yeah. down. Like yeah. I was just like, Oh, well that's how lion's gates work. That's how yeah. that's, this whole thing is set up in a, in a way. It's awesome to see it double the expectations yeah. of the box office. I remember they were going in expecting seven and a half and then did 15 and now it's at, you know, amazing growth. And so that, that's a beautiful thing, but yeah. Yeah, I just, I just, I find it a bummer when people choose to be unaware and uncharitable yeah. in these conversations, yeah. and instead of believing the best, they assume yes. the worst. Yes, I don't think that's fair. No, it isn't. But you know, this is life, and yeah. this is the way a lot of people are. And you know, they repeat things they've maybe heard or read, or they just dream up things. And I think it's always good to try to find out the real story yeah. of what actually happened. And you know, a movie is an amazing tool. Because you can reach unexpected people in unexpected unexpected places with an unexpected message. Yep. And, and all kinds of people are going to see this movie. And not all of them are believers. Yep. And people are actually coming to Christ watching this film. Yeah. And people that if you were to invite them to church, chances are they might say no. Yeah. But they might go to a movie with you or go to that movie all on their own. They yeah. just heard about it. And when it starts streaming, a whole nother audience is going to see it. Do you know when it's going to hit streaming? Mid-April. Mid-April. Oh, wow. Okay. That's yeah. coming up. That's it's coming be up awesome. fast. You mentioned your mom and that yeah. whole part of it probably resonated with me the yeah. most. Um, yeah. Having a mom that, that was an alcoholic and, yeah. and struggling and that whole bit. Um, and you put up a, a really cool video about her on Instagram, which mm -hmm. I would encourage people to, to go watch your version of it because you show pictures of her and mm -hmm. how she did really look like Mar Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, she uh, did. What happened after that with your mom and your relationship yeah. with your mom? Because it seemed like there was some restoration happening, yeah. but it was a bit of a cliffhanger in terms of where, yeah. where and how she ended up continuing in her journey. What, what happened after that? So my mom was a, a really beautiful woman. She was raised in a very strong Christian home. Yeah. Uh, she went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, midweek studies. They would have missionaries over to the house for Sunday afternoon meals. And But she rebelled at a very early age. Mm. And my Aunt Willie helped her pack her suitcase as Charlene, my mother, eloped, married a guy, divorced him, married another guy, divorced him. She had a fling in Long Beach, a one-night stand, so to speak, and mm -hmm. I was conceived. Mm -hmm. And then she married another guy and mm -hmm. put his name on my birth certificate, and mm -hmm. I found out like 35 years later that he was not my biological father, and I thought he was. And uh, so my mom, you know, went on this long search, and she drank and she smoked and she lived her life, and tragically it took its toll on her. Mm -hmm. So by the time she was 70 she looked much older. Mm -hmm. Her kidneys were breaking down. Yeah. She was having to get dialysis three times a week. It was really sad. And, um, you know, whenever I'd bring the subject of the gospel up with my mom, she would say, I don't want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. I don't want to talk about it. One day I was driving to church and God spoke to my heart and said, go talk to your mother today. Mm. And I did a U-turn and I called my wife, Kathy. I said, pray for me. I'm going to talk to my mom. So I showed up at her house. I knocked on the door. She was sort of surprised to see me in the afternoon like that. And, and she said, Greg, what are you doing here? I said, Mom, I want to talk to you today about your soul. She said, I don't want to talk about it. I said, today we're going to talk about it. I wasn't going to take no for an answer. Yeah. And it was an awkward, hard conversation with her. Hey, you want to see something crazy? 67% of the people who watch this channel are not subscribed. Do me a quick favor, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you stay up to date on all the videos here on the Bless God Studios channel. But I, I was direct, and she finally broke down. And, and so that conversation resulted in her making a commitment to Christ. Mm. Was she a non-believer who came to Christ, or was she the longest-running prodigal of all time? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but yeah. all I know is she made that commitment to the Lord, and tragically, a month later, oh my she died. Oh, my goodness. And and so I was hoping that now she's a Christian. We're going to have this great future yeah. together. And 
a closer relationship because, you know, I always loved my mother. Mm. I had to take care of her because mm-hmm. no one else was caring for her. Mm-hmm. Guys would come in and out of her, out of her life, mm-hmm. and she was left alone. So sometimes I was the only one to make sure she got to bed at night. I was the one to make sure she got something to eat. I was, you know, I was in some ways like a parent in the yeah. relationship. Yeah. So I always felt this protective thing around my mom. Yeah. I've got to take care of my mother. Mm. And I felt that all through life. Yeah, what do you? What advice do you have for? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of people watching, myself included, that yeah. we 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 have became the parent to the parent. Yeah, you know, and there there's addiction there. There's a history of, yeah. of trauma and all kinds of things there. Uh, how, how do you? How do we navigate those situations in terms of caring? I mean, you're talking about practically parenting a parent, but then you're also talking about speaking into their soul and wanting them to to surrender to Jesus. How, how, what advice would you have to navigate that? Well, I would say never give up, mm. you know, never give up. Keep praying. Jesus said, seeking you shall find, knock on the door shall be open, asking it shall be given to you. And in the original language, it implies continuing to do that. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Mm. It's, it's hard to share the gospel with members of your family. Yeah. So you've got to earn the right by living it and showing them the gospel. Yeah, yeah. Live the gospel. Yeah. But when that moment comes, you need to just speak out and get through the awkwardness and do your best to try to help them come to Jesus. Um, there's so many people I know. My mother married a man. He was the one man she was married to the longest. And he and I never had a real close relationship. And his name was Bill. And uh, so after they, after my mother died... I didn't see much of Bill. Mm. And uh, someone came to me um, a few months later, or a few years later, actually, and said, Bill's really sick. You should go see him. Mm-hmm. And and I actually didn't want to do it because mm. it was a strain in our relationship. And I was on my way to go speak somewhere when I heard this news. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'll go, I'll go see him um, after I get back. And as I was on my way to the airport, again, the Lord speaks to me and says, you go see him right now. I go back to the same house where I saw my mother and had that conversation. He was in hospice care. Mm. They had a a hospital bed in his den. And I look at him and I could see he was not long for this life. Mm. And I said, Bill, I, I know, you know, you're close to death. And I want you to know that God loves you and has a plan for your life and, and, he, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin. And I said, would you like to accept Christ into your life? He said, yes. I led him in a prayer. And I would, then I walked out and I was thinking, I'm so thankful I had that conversation I didn't want to have because mm. of the awkwardness of it. I got on the plane. I landed where I was going to speak. And I got a text on my phone. Bill just died. Oh, my gosh. So I think the takeaway <sighs> truth for me and that I would share with others is don't put it off. If the Lord gives you that little nudge, Timing is everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I actually had kind of a full-time ministry sharing the gospel with my mother's old husbands. Mm. Uh, another one of her husbands, the guy who ended up adopting me, Oscar Laurie, um, he's the father that she's leaving in the film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm always like drawing the name yeah, Laurie yeah, with yeah, that little yeah. family crest, which means it buds are fresh. It's a tree that's been cut down. It's a stump and it's growing back. And uh, he's the only man who ever treated me as a father should treat a son. Yeah. So I called him dad. And I was taken away from him in my childhood. And when I became a young adult in my early 20s and our church was going, I wanted to reconnect with him. Yeah. And so I found him again before Google. <laughs> so there was a girl that went to our church who was an attorney and she found him through the Bar Association. Uh-huh. I didn't even know if he was alive still. Uh-huh. I found him in New Jersey. I called his office. And they said, uh, law office of Oscar Laurie. I said, yes, is Mr. Laurie in? The secretary said, no, he's out at lunch. Can I ask who's calling? I said, Greg Laurie. She said, how do you spell your last name? I said, the same way he spells his. <laughs> this is his son. Yeah. So I got a call really quickly. And he said, oh, Greg, it's so good to hear from you. And I said, listen, I'm going to be in New York speaking in Central Park. Maybe we could get together for lunch. He said, oh, no, come Come to our house for for dinner. In fact, stay the weekend with us. Oh, I don't want to impose. No, come, come. So, okay. So Kathy and I and our son Christopher flew to New York. I spoke. And then we got on the train, pulled into New Jersey. And it was a place called uh, Bancroft, uh, Lincroft, excuse me, Lincroft, New Jersey. And um, I got off the train and, boy, he looked just like I remembered him. Mm. So we spent that night catching up. 
And as it turned out, he heard the crazy life my mom was living. And he was my, he had adopted me. He was my father. He tried to get custody of me and he couldn't. Oh, and uh, and then that night we're sitting at the table and his wife, Barbara, he had remarried, beautiful lady and yeah. great Italian cook. And uh, we had a wonderful meal. And Barbara said, Greg, tell me how you became a Christian. So I sat at the table and I'm sharing my story. And the whole time my dad is just sitting there just with his hands up to his face like that, mm. just watching me. I felt like I'm in a courtroom yeah. and he's the judge. He's he's weighing the information. So um, I share my whole story and she's all excited and responsive. He doesn't respond at all. He just looks at me. Then that night he said, Greg, I want to, can you walk with me in the morning? And I said, sure, dad. Well, as it turns out, I left this part out. He had had uh, heart problems mm. and blacked up behind the steering wheel and it hit a telephone pole and almost died. And so he, his heart, he was on medication. And uh, so he had to walk every morning. So he knocked on my door, six o'clock in the morning, New Jersey time, three o'clock in the morning, <laughs> California time. So we're walking along and he turns to me and says, Greg, I listened very carefully to what you said last night. Mm. Let me just say my father was very intelligent. He would read thick history books you know, one a week, he just was a learner and yeah. a very smart, very moral man. Mm -hmm. And he said, I listened very carefully to what you said last night. And I said, yes. And he said, I'd like to accept Jesus Christ into my life. Mm -hmm. I said, well, and I was calling him dad at this point. I said, well, dad, I need to tell you again what it means. And I went over the whole gospel because I understand. I want to accept Jesus Christ right now. And he says, what do I need to do? I said, and we're walking through a park. At this point, I said, well, you need to pray. He stops and drops to his knees. Wow. I'm like, whoa, okay, I wasn't going to get on my knees, but okay, let's do this. Yeah. So I got my knees. I prayed with him. He prayed this prayer, and he says, Greg, pray for my heart. Pray God heals my heart. I prayed for his heart. He gets up, and he, he was so excited. It was the most dramatic conversion I've ever seen. Wow. And he said, you know, my doctor's office is right near here. Let's go over and see him, and I want to tell him I've accepted Jesus and that my heart is healed. I said, well, dad, we don't know if your heart yeah. is healed. Yeah. He goes, well, let's go see him. So we go over to this doctor's office, walk in, and and he's a nice Jewish man. And yeah. he says, Oscar, how are you? He goes, doc, this is my son, Greg. He's a preacher from California, which already that sounds suspicious, right? They, they don't like Californians <laughs> in a lot of places. And I just accepted Jesus into my heart, and my heart is healed. Yeah. I'm going, oh, boy. Oh, and the doctor says, well, Oscar, we need to run some tests on you. They ran the test, and literally his heart was healed. Wow. So he somehow knew this, and he lived 15 more years and served the Lord and walked with the Lord. So, you know, wow. it, That's God, amazing. God can go back to your life, yeah. and, and, and he can change things. Yeah. He can change the narrative. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to forgive people who have hurt you. Yeah. And then... Try to bring the love of God to them. Just one more quick story. My mom married this one guy who almost killed her. They were living in Hawaii, and he he and my mom would drink, and they would fight, literally have physical fights. And one night they knocked out a plain glass window, and the cops came. But one night I heard a big thud and a, and a loud noise, and I went to the front room, and my mom was lying there in a pool of blood, mm. and he was standing over her with a wooden statue. Mm -hmm. And, and he said, go to bed, it's just ketchup. I remember that as a little boy. Wow. Went into my room, opened my window, climbed out, ran over to a neighbor, told them the ambulance came, the police came. She left that man. Fast forward many years, I'm in Hawaii preaching at the Waikiki Shell. Mm. Someone tells me that guy lives right near there. Mm. And they said, you should go talk to him because he's very sick. So I went over to meet him with Kathy. And I thought maybe he'll come to the Lord. He wasn't interested at all. Mm. I shared the gospel with him. He's go, oh, that's nice. Good for you. I go, well, I'm going to speak over here. Would you like to come? He didn't want to come. Mm. So my point is you got to make the effort. Yeah. Yeah. My mom came around. Oscar came around. This guy didn't come around. Yeah. But like I said, I had a full-time yeah. ministry ministering yeah. to my mom's old husband. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty good batting average, though. Not bad. <laughs> <laughs> we got three out of four. That's yeah. amazing. Was there ever any bit of resentment or unforgiveness towards your mom for keeping your dad from you? No, I actually look back and then, and I think that was overall, if that had happened, if my father had gotten custody of me, my life would not have yeah. gone the direction yeah. it went. And as bad as it was at times, 
I I took a little journey yep. and through process of elimination, I realized what I did not want in life. Yeah. You know, I'm just a kid, but I'm looking at my mother's sometimes affluent lifestyle and I'm thinking, I don't want that life. Mm. Then I got into the drug culture myself. And I, even before I was a Christian, I knew that was a dead end street. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to do drugs even before I'd become a believer, but mm-hmm. I thought, where is the answer? Yeah. If I'd been living in New Jersey with a good father, I mean, I'm not saying God couldn't have reached me or wouldn't have reached me, yeah. but I'm saying that this is the life the Lord allowed me to live yeah. that brought me to faith, yes. that brought me to where I am yeah. right now. Yeah. So I think, you know, it's Romans 8, 28, all things work yeah. together for good to those that love God. Yeah, it's interesting when, when, when I hear and I talk to folks who've experienced trauma like that and rough upbringings, uh, they all kind of say, say the same thing. They say they wouldn't have changed anything, yeah. you know, and that's the that's the providence of God there is this yeah. somehow God just works it all out and it works for our good. Well, I have a heart for hurting people. Yeah. I, you know, I, when I look at people, I look at young people, especially, and they're lost and they're searching and, yeah. and you know, my heart goes out to them. And mm-hmm. so, because I've been there, yep. I know what it feels like. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I was raised in the opposite of mm-hmm, one. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I still really want, what was the exception of my childhood is in some ways more like the rule today. Mm. When I was a kid, all my friends had parents, mm. you know, they had meals <laughs> at home, you know, around the table. Yeah. And I'm this kind of free spirit. Yep. I would, I, in fact, every night I went out, I went to a restaurant, doesn't exist anymore. It was called the snack shop. Every night I would get a hamburger, a vanilla shake, and fries. And I would tell my friends what I had for dinner. They couldn't believe it. They envied my life. But I had this one friend that had a family, and they would sit around the table, and I would go eat at his house, not because the food was good, but because I loved this family idea. And after a while, I got tired of a hamburger, a vanilla malt, and fries. I wanted family. I wanted stability. I wanted parameters because yeah. I could do whatever I want. I got in trouble in school. They wanted to expel me. Mm-hmm. And my mom met with the principal and said she'd sue him mm-hmm. if they expelled me. So mm-hmm. I stayed in school, mm-hmm. you know. And so I just was always getting into trouble. I was crying out for attention. Yeah. I was looking for someone to tell me what was true. That's so good. Um, you mentioned going back and reading Lonnie Frisbee's book earlier. Yeah. And uh, what happened after the movie came out is exactly what I knew would happen is all of a sudden there was yeah. a, a segment of the internet that wanted to turn him into this activist and this this yeah. guy that uh when I went down that rabbit hole and I sat down with his roommate John uh, I saw Rutke, that. um he read excerpts from his book yeah. he shared that, that that is nothing that he ever saw in his life that this was something yeah. that was hidden from all of his friends um what did you going back and reading Lonnie's bi- uh, biography after the movie came out yeah. Um, what did what did what did you glean from that? What do you think of this whole thing playing out and this kind of like oh they kept this out kept that out and we talked about it last time um, and I'm glad that John talked about it and, and I've heard uh, Pastor Don talk about it and Steve Maddox talk about it. all these all these friends that I I know who were friendly with Lonnie and they all say the same thing his wife said the same thing like no we I didn't know this about him this was something that was kept private in terms of his uh, you know gay lifestyle or whatever and and then reading in his own book that he said no. Like, I don't identify as this. This is not something. Right. Um, I, I want to hear what you think about it, but I thought it was just so interesting that people wanted to appropriate his story yes. and turn him into a poster boy for something that he outright condemned repeatedly. And 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 whether or not he struggled with it, that was not who he was, and that That's is right. not how he saw himself. So what did you, going back after the movie and reading his autobiography, um, what did, what did you kind of glean from that in hindsight? Well, my heart went out to him. You know, I didn't know his backstory till mm. much later uh, that he was uh, pretty much abandoned by his father and was molested as a young boy. And uh, and he, by his own admission, uh, you know, lived immorally in his early, you know, years. And um, that's reflected in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Lonnie, played by Jonathan Rumi, is in Chuck's front room, he says, yeah, we were down in San Francisco and we did everything and we did every one. Yeah. There's another scene where Lonnie is by a fire uh-huh. and he's crying yep. and he's saying, God, help me. God, use me. Mm-hmm. We were trying to show the story and the struggle of Lonnie, but mm-hmm. the movie wasn't about Lonnie. Right. It, it it was about the Jesus revolution. Technically, the movie's not really about me. Yep. It's not about Kathy. It's not about Chuck. Yep. 
but it's we're all characters in the story. Yeah. And it's showing how God worked through flawed people. Yes. Like there's a scene in the film where Chuck is, uh, Lonnie's left, mm-hmm. and Chuck's in the back there in the tent, and and he says, you know, it, they don't want to hear me. They want to hear Lonnie. And Kay says something to the effect of, don't be so foolish to think that, that you know, this is about you. This yeah. isn't about you. Yep. This yep. is what God is doing. Yep. And that's so true. And that's still the story. And I know we want a clean, squeaky little narrative where <laughs> all of our characters are perfect. Yep. But if we're going to take that approach, then we're going to have problems with a lot of Bible stories. Because yep. God used super flawed people. And, you know, obviously Samson was a man that struggled with immorality, ended up paying the price for his immorality. Uh, So coming back to Lonnie, uh, that was an illustration that Pastor Chuck used in Lonnie's memorial service. He said he was a Samson-like character. But let's not forget the Spirit of God came on Samson. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even when he was sinning, okay, he, he was repentant in the end, but he also paid the price. Lonnie, by his own admission, knew he had paid the price yeah. for his sin. He yeah. Listen, here's the, the arc of his story. He, he had a rough childhood. He came to Christ. He was used mightily by God. Later, he became discouraged and disillusioned and fell away, repented, and returned to the Lord. Yeah. That's a story. Amen. And, uh, and he was forgiven by God. But here's something I just thought of that I've never really shared publicly. And a friend shared this with me. So when I went to see Lonnie, mm-hmm. I went with my friend Mike McIntosh. Mm-hmm. He was in hospice care. It was a very dark room. There was a big fire in the fireplace, and you, you know, and you could see his face in the reflection. He was emaciated and it was very sad. But we were talking with him, and he was so excited about what we were doing with the Crusades because Lonnie did say to me, and this scene is in the film. He said to me one day where he was praying for somebody and I was just standing to the side and he turns to me and says, the Lord's telling me you're going to preach in front of thousands of people one day. Yeah. At this point, I'd never preached a sermon. <laughs> I was the guy who drew the living water cartoon track. Yeah. That was my claim to fame. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. the cartoonist. Yeah. I'm like, what? And so in the movie, it shows Lonnie saying that to yeah. Greg. Uh, so anyway, so coming back to his story, we're in this, house and he is obviously not long for this world and Lonnie says God has shown me that I'm going to preach to thousands of people kind of thinking that's not going to happen and he died not long afterwards but this is what a friend said to me he said did it ever occur to you that through this movie and through his story being told wow Lonnie has preached to thousands of people not thousands millions millions and so I thought, wow, was God giving to him a little vision of his future? Whoa. That his story was going to be redeemed Whoa. and told to a whole new audience. And there are there is a scene in the film where Lonnie is preaching yeah. in the church. Yeah. So he preach he's preaching that to millions is of people. So good. So look, I'm glad that I can help tell his story and yeah. the story of Pastor Chuck. Yeah. Because um God used them. And you can say God didn't use him, and you can try to dismiss the whole movement. You can do whatever you like. But this movement of the Holy Spirit happened around the world, not just in California. It happened in the UK. It was happening uh, in Texas, as shown in the film. It was happening in the South. It was happening all over simultaneously. Mm -hmm. It was a work of the Spirit that impacted the global church. You can't deny it. And God did it through a lot of flawed people. That is so good. Wow. Yeah, that definitely gave me chills. Wow. Uh, having John Rutwake on, Lonnie's roommate, and he said that he was in theaters crying yeah. because of how well Jonathan Rumi yes. depicted him. Yeah. And that it was spot on. And he's well, like, dude, my that, that's my friend. Yeah, that's right. Well, Jonathan Rumi is a wonderful guy. He's a yeah. good friend of mine. And um, he's a method actor. Yeah. So he goes way into the character. Yeah. And so he was like almost becoming Lonnie. Yeah. A couple times on the set, we're filming. Would call him Lonnie, right? Yeah, yeah. it's kind of like a flashback. <laughs> I said, that's so Lonnie. Like, because Jonathan would say, okay, like, what was Lonnie like when he walked into yeah. a room? Yeah. What kind of things would he say? And I was pointing out, Lonnie did have a sense of humor. He's a funny guy, yep. fun guy to be around. But all of a sudden, he'd just be kind of normalish. And then yeah. he'd pivot and go, the Lord's saying this. Yep. And God would use him in yeah. like amazing ways. Yeah. I've frankly never seen anyone quite like him, yeah. I have to say. So Jonathan just absorbed all of this and yeah. watched the very few videos that are out there of Lonnie speaking. Yeah. Totally, 
you know, became this person. Yeah. I'm, I was so impressed with the acting That's skills amazing. of all of the people, yeah. everybody yeah. just, wow, they yeah. became these people and, and were able to tell their story to a whole new generation. That's so cool. And we have a, a special announcement kind of tying into this entire theme of preaching the gospel to the masses and reaching as many people. You guys have been doing the Harvest Crusades for, I think, 30 years now? Uh, 32 years. 32 years now. Yes. And so we have an announcement that it's going to be in a very special venue. Yeah. And we have the dates, and we even have a few people you like to name that are going to be there. That's right. Well, um, so we've been at the Angel Stadium for all these years. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is the first year we will not be able to return to Angel Stadium because... They've told us that the the baseball organization has said they don't, while the games are being played, they don't want anybody walking on the field. Mm -hmm. Well, if you've ever been to a Harvest Crusade. Everyone you know, goes on the field. <laughs> everyone goes on the field. Like thousands of people literally yeah. walk down on the field. Yeah. Well, that was kind of a deal breaker for us because mm -hmm. we love to call people forward to Christ. So we, we're thankful for our relationship with Angel Stadium mm -hmm. up to this point. And maybe we'll return there one day. But this year, we have to go somewhere, mm -hmm. so we're going to go two nights to the Honda Center, mm -hmm. sometimes called The Pond. Yep. It's actually really close to Angel yep. Stadium. Yep. And I think what we want to do is something different, because the stadium is so big and yeah. impersonal. Yes. Honda Center, is a, you know, it's still a good-sized venue, 15,000, maybe mm -hmm. 18,000, I'm not sure. We're going to do our service in the round. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, when we first started, Ruslan, with these crusades, I had something called the praise band. They mm -hmm. would open the night up and mm -hmm. and uh, they were just kind of pioneering what we call contemporary Christian music today. But mm -hmm. um, we're going to return to that kind of template. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a praise and worship focus, but also a presentation of the gospel. Mm -hmm. So we have Chris Tomlin coming. Wow. We have Phil Wickham coming. Yes. We have Taya, who's the girl that has that beautiful voice who sing on Oceans. Mm -hmm. Uh, and and other artists I can't announce, but it's not going to be like a crusade you've been to before. It's going to be a more immersive. It's going to be uh, something that I think will be a beautiful thing to be a part of, yeah. but I'm still encouraging people to bring up folks that don't know the Lord to hear the gospel because that's what the power is. It's yep. in the power of the preaching of the gospel. Yep. And the date is July 1st and 2nd. That's correct. And they could follow you on Instagram yes. for more information. You guys are going to be announcing the rest of the lineup pretty soon here. Yes. And I I, I love that. Um, we're going to go over to our Patreon exclusive section, and I'm going to ask you about revival and okay. what we're seeing with Osbury Revival. And I also want to ask you, why do movements die, which was a conversation we had at uh, breakfast this morning. Yes. So you've been keeping up with the... And tell the people what you ordered for breakfast, because it, <laughs> it was so unique. I asked the server, have you ever had that order before? And she said, no, tell them what you ordered. So I'm... Hey, if you enjoyed this video and you want to see the full extended version of this podcast, be sure to sign up for our Patreon community for only $5 a month. It'll really help us continue contextualizing the gospel using YouTube, media, and podcasting. And in exchange, you will get full unedited versions of the podcast, of our daily after-party streams, a discount for our merch store, and exclusive access to our private Discord server. It's only $5 a month. The link for Patreon is in the description of this video, as well as the pinned comment below. If you're feeling like, yeah, I don't think I want to sign up for $5 a month, that's okay. We also have links in the description of this video where you can make a one-time contribution on Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal. But but we really want to get you over on Patreon. So again, hit the link in the description, sign up now, and I'll see you over there, all right? Peace.